Just Our Real Estate, episode number 160. All right, thank you and welcome to Just Start Real Estate. My name is Mike Simmons. I am your host and I am happy to have you here today. I want to jump right into the content, but before I do, real quick, I want to ask you to take a moment, go to iTunes and give me a rating and review. It is probably the best thing you can do for this podcast. It's the best way to say thank you if you're enjoying the podcast. If you've ever thought you really enjoy it and you're getting a lot out of it, go to iTunes, give me a rating and review. It means the world. It helps me reach more people. It helps me help more people. And doggone it, it's just a nice thing to do. So <laughs> if you don't mind, go there and do that real quick, and I would be eternally grateful. Okay, on to the show. All right, thank you for joining me today. As always, I am really excited that you're here. And today we're gonna do something a little bit different. I'm gonna break the normal pattern. Normally on Monday, I have an interview with a really awesome real estate investor or someone in the real estate field at least. And that is a great, great show. I love doing those shows. Uh, but today I'm gonna do something a little bit different. I'm gonna take a little bit of time today and like I said, change things up a little bit, and I'm doing it because I think it's gonna be beneficial. I've gotten some emails lately from some listeners who have questions about their real estate investing business or about just how to get started, and I wanna answer a few of those, and they're kind of basic questions, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that right off the bat, but I think that there is some benefit for everyone listening to the answers and everyone hearing this. It's some of it is stuff that I've said before, but I'm gonna reiterate it and try to clarify a little bit some things. So hopefully you are excited as I am to, to, to get into this episode, answer a few questions, and hopefully it'll help you. If you, you know, I, this is 160 episodes as of today. So I've produced a lot, a lot of content on this show, but which is great. But what happens is if you just found the show a week ago, a month ago, even three months ago, there's so much content that you may not have heard if you didn't go back and listen from the beginning. So I think that there's some value in answering these questions, even though some of the answers, if you've listened since day one or you've gone back and listened to every single episode, you may have heard some of this in one form or another, but that's okay. I think, you know, sometimes the more you hear things, the more you remember them and can apply them effectively to your business. So we're gonna go ahead and dive into a couple of these questions. I didn't really know how many to pick out. Um, these are just questions that I've gotten over the last uh, few weeks and I thought that they were good ones and that they were, you know, sort of covered a, a lot of probably people's questions that they might have. So. I'm gonna say who sent them and where they're from, but I'm not gonna give last names and stuff, just just to kind of protect um, you know, people's identities a little bit. And some of the questions, I'm just gonna warn you, some of the questions that I got were in the or within the body of a really long email that had a lot of other things going on in the email. So I, some of these questions I paraphrased a little bit so that they made a little bit more sense. You know, I took out some of the super specific aspects of the question that really only pertain to that person and kind of paraphrase them, like I said, so they're a little bit more uh, applicable to everybody's situation. So here we go. And like I said, you know, we're breaking format. I hope that doesn't upset anybody. Like I said, there will be some great interviews coming up this month. I have a really good one in store for you next Monday, and I'm excited to do that. So hopefully that's okay with everyone. We're going to kind of shake it up a little bit, um, which I think 
think is kind of cool once in a while, right? You don't want to get into a rut, and I don't want people to go, oh, I always know what's going to happen, and it's always the same old thing. No, I want to shake it up a little bit. I want you to be a little bit pleasantly surprised when I when I change things and kind of do some, some things that are off the beaten path. So, like I said, hopefully this is cool with everyone. If it's not, you can send me an email. Let me know, you know, hey, never do that again. I better have an interview on every single uh, show on Monday or I'm going to be really, really upset. So you can send me those emails and let me know. And if that's the case and if everyone sort of agrees, hey, that was a boneheaded thing to do, Mike, don't do that anymore, then, then maybe I will not do it again. But we'll see. Maybe I will. I don't know. We'll see. But, you know, at the core, this podcast is about helping new real estate investors. That's just what it is. That's what I want it to be. And I want to help you no matter what. If that means I break form a little bit, great. If that means, you know, whatever, I'll do it. I just, I want to help out. So I thought, what better way than answering questions from beginners so that everyone can hear the answer and benefit from it. So that being said, let's dive into it, see how it goes. I'm excited about it. I think this is going to be kind of cool, kind of fun. Okay, first question comes from Robert in uh, Southfield, Michigan. Southfield, Michigan is actually really close to me. I, I live in, in Michigan and uh, all of the suburbs around Detroit, but outside of the city of Detroit are are considered and they're called around here Metro Detroit. So um, Southfield would fall into that category. It's Metro Detroit. It's not in Detroit. It's sort of northwest of Detroit. So anyways, that's probably more information than anyone cared to hear, but that's where it is. I, I just happen to know because it's relatively close to me. Okay, the question is, if I flip a house, does my wife legally have to sign all the docs because we're married? So now, this was part of a longer email. So basically what, what Robert's asking is he wants to start flipping houses. His wife's totally on board with it. No problem there. You know, this is nothing he's doing in secret or anything like that. She's into it. But um, they work. They have day jobs. So he's wondering when he flips a house, right, because he's married, when he goes to buy a house or or sell a house after he renovates it because he wants to be a house flipper, do him and his wife both have to be on the purchase agreements and 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 the and the purchase agreement when they go to sell as well? Do they both have to sign? So here's my answer. Okay, and I'm not a lawyer and I'm I really I'm not even a real estate agent. But here's well let me just tell you how how I do it cuz I'm married as well and my wife is my business partner. But what I can tell you is if you if you uh, form an LLC, if you have an LLC, right? If you are the only one listed on the LLC, if you're the sole owner of that LLC and your wife's not on it, and, and you buy the house and you sell it through your LLC, um, it has been my experience that not only does your wife not need to sign the paperwork, she just, there's no reason for it, right? She doesn't have to, she doesn't have to sign it. So I don't even think they would necessarily want her signature on it. If she's not a member of the LLC, then, then there's no need for her to be on it. So in, in our situation, um, we've actually set it up that my wife is the is on the LLC so that when we go to sell and buy, she goes to all of the closings. That's that's part of her um, her responsibilities in our in our business. So she goes to the closings. She has her signature on everything, and they don't necessarily need my signature. 
So one of our LLCs that we have, she's the sole owner. So it makes it convenient that she can sign everything and I don't have to be there for it. So that's how we do it. Now, if you don't have an LLC, my guess would be um, that you do not have to have her on it there either. Um, it's not a mortgage, right? A mortgage, they would probably require you both to be on it. But the purchase agreements themselves, which is what Robert's specifically asking me about in his email, if you read the whole email, um, do, on the purchase agreement, does she have to be on there? Does she have to also sign initial everything? And the answer is no, you, she doesn't. Um, I don't think it would hurt if she wanted to, but she doesn't have to. And especially if you have an LLC that she is not listed on, she's not a member, then definitely she doesn't have to. So, and after you've done a few houses, you know, you might want to have an LLC, but that's a whole different, uh, that's actually going to be a question I'm going to answer here down uh, a few questions. So we'll get into that in a minute. So hopefully that answers your question, Robert, and hopefully, um, you know, you start that business. I know you haven't flipped a house yet. Um, you didn't mention in your email if you already have an LLC. You just were asking basically, do you both have to be at the closing every time? And uh, the answer is is no to that, not necessarily. So that's the answer to that one. Okay, let's move on to question number two. Question number two comes from Simon from Orange County, California. I am not from uh, California, but I have a rough idea where Orange County is. Um, but anyways, that's neither here nor there. There's a lot of people listening from California. You know where it is. Um, kind of irrelevant. But here we go. The question that Simon has is which... Oh, this is the question that I was referencing above. So which entity should I pick to flip houses? So again, in reading Simon's email, the question here is... LLC versus S Corp versus C Corp. What's the best one to go with? What do I suggest? <clears throat> okay, so this this is going to be a question that I'm going to answer in a couple different ways. Okay, and I, I've had this conversation on the air, and I've had this conversation with other real estate investors who are very successful in their markets. And here goes. Um, and I know I happen to know from reading Simon's email that he has not. Uh, yet done a real estate deal yet he's he wants to he's he's reading he's studying um and this is one of his questions that he has before he gets started which entity to pick before he flips a house here's my answer simon don't pick an entity go out there and flip a house just do it don't worry about the entity right now just just do it go out there and, and flip a house I can't say it any more plainly than that I've had this conversation on the air with other real estate investors what happens when you're new and you start you know you start asking questions and you know which entity should I pick and which insurance company should I go with and can someone suggest a title company that's investor friendly all of these things and then the worst one is you know do i need to get business cards before i start now i had those questions too so when i say it's the worst one it's it's probably one of the least important things you can do is 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 um get business cards printed up before you get started but it's fine if you want to do it if you want to spend a saturday and do that but don't spend a lot of time thinking about it and as far as the entity goes um, I said I had a couple of answers for this. So the quick and easy answer is go flip a house, forget about an entity, just go do it. Get out there and get started. Get your first house done. Then, then maybe think about an entity, maybe even flip another house while you're thinking about that entity, but flip another one, then maybe start thinking about it. Eventually, I think you do need to get um, 
you need to incorporate in some way. And but I think what happens is people get so, you know, they get so tied up thinking about entities and and all these different things that they forget the idea is to go out and flip a house. So go flip a house, then think about the entity. Now, I'll answer your question as if you had flipped a couple of houses already. Again, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a CPA, so I can't tell you from a legal standpoint and I can't even tell you from a tax standpoint. All I can tell you is this. Most real estate investors that I know, that I have spoken to, who have gone and, and incorporated in some way their their business have used LLCs. Now, again, unfortunately, I can't give you a long-winded legal reason for that, and I can't give you a long-winded um, uh, answer from the standpoint of a CPA. All I can tell you is this. They're very easy to form. They're very easy to run and maintain. There's not it doesn't seem that there's as many rules involved with running an LLC. And I'm probably completely butchering that. Maybe there is. Here's the deal. Most flippers and most real estate investors I know use an LLC to run their business, bottom line. That's just that's just the reality of it that I've seen. That's what I use for all of my real estate businesses. All of my incorporations that I've done are all LLCs. <clears throat> now, when you get to a certain amount of volume or maybe a certain dollar amount that you're that you're doing or you start hiring multiple employees, totally changes it. That totally totally changes it. But when you're just starting out, haven't done your first property or maybe you've done one or two, you don't have employees, you're not doing 50 houses a year, an LLC is absolutely fine. Okay? It's just, just fine. Uh, do an LLC. They're very easy and very quick and very inexpensive to start. That would be my suggestion to you. You could ask 10 other real estate investors with some experience and maybe you'd get a different answer. But this is my answer. You asked me. I'm telling you, LLC is the one that most people go with. That's the one that I would go with if I were you. Okay, on to the next question. The next one uh, comes from Elaine in Texas. Elaine didn't say where in Texas, but uh, she did say she's from Texas. So uh, Elaine's question is, what paperwork is needed when hiring a contractor? So she has the first house under contract. Let's just give you a little background. And she is hiring a contractor. She's in that process. But she's concerned. She wants to know what paperwork she should be using or what paperwork is required and, and best practices when hiring a contractor. So here's my advice to Elaine. Hopefully Elaine's listening. Actually, I'm gonna email this as well. So um, Elaine, number one, you need a contractor agreement, okay? I'm, I'm not saying this, is the, this isn't the first piece of documentation you need to, to, to get completed, but the first thing is a quote, okay? So let's just go with the quote. You need a written quote. You Bring them through, show them the work, tell them exactly what you want done. Give them a list of repairs that you want done throughout the house. They should then submit a written quote that's itemized. Make sure it's itemized. You don't want a, a long list of things they're going to do and then a price at the end. That's for Especially in the beginning, for a new real estate investor, that is not the way to learn what things cost or the way to learn how to 
you know, quote these things quickly on your own at some point down the road. The only way you're going to know the cost of things and how to kind of do a real quick estimation as an experienced investor is if you see itemized quotes time and time again, you start getting an idea of what things cost. That's how I did it. That's how most people do it. So get a written quote, number one, and that written quote before you, you know, shake hands and agree in any money exchanges hands, you should also have a timeline attached to that quote. So it's great if their numbers look good and they're going to do it, you know, inexpensively or they're very competitive. But if their timeline is just completely out of whack, you know, you think it's uh, everyone else is quoting four weeks and theirs is going to take 16 weeks. Well, suddenly that cost doesn't look so good because you have holding costs and maybe interest that's accruing while while you're holding this house. So get a written quote with a timeline attached to it. I, I always want to get the timeline with the quote. I don't wait until after I get the quote and then have to go back. I tell them, please quote this job. Also, you have to include the timing that it's going to take you to finish the job, right? And like I said, make sure the quote's itemized. Okay, so that's number one. Number two, you want to get the uh, whoever you decide to go with, whatever contractor you decide to use, you want to get their license, their builder's license, and their insurance information right off the bat, right? Before they get started, you want to make sure they're licensed and insured and that you have that information available to you. It's not enough for them to say they're licensed and insured. You need proof. You need documentation that they're licensed and insured. Okay, number three uh, piece of documentation that I recommend everyone has, and I've told this story a million times um, to people. I've, t I've definitely talked about it a few times on the show. I'm going to do it one more time, though. The third piece of documentation you need from your general contractor, if you're using a general contractor, and all of the subcontractors is a release of lien. A release of lien basically is a document saying that you have paid them in full for their services and that they're not going to come back and put a lien on your property and say that you owe money. So what happened to me on my very first real estate investing deal, my very first flip is I hired a, good, a general contractor. They did all the work that they were supposed to do. Um, the budget, you know, they came in pretty close to budget. All that was good. Paid them in full after we did the final walkthrough. I paid them in full. They went on their way. A couple weeks later, after the job was done, um, I got a call from the the electrician who did all the electrical work in the house, a subcontractor, and they said, you owe me $1,000. I got a letter. And I said, well, what do you mean I owe you $1,000? I paid the electric portion of the, of, the, uh, of the quote. And they said, well, you paid your general contractor, but he never paid us. So long story short, my general contractor ran off with the $1,000 he was supposed to pay the electrician. The problem is the electrician was absolutely right. If they didn't get paid, they were within their rights to put a lien on, on my property. Before I could sell it, I would have to pay them that $1,000. So I ended up negotiating with them and getting the, the electric company to agree to take $600 in lieu of the $1,000 that they should have gotten from my general contractor. So that was very cool that I was able to, to negotiate that. It was very cool of them to agree to a lesser amount because they understood the situation situation. They felt bad for me, what the situation I was in, but they still said, Hey, I, I, you know, I feel bad for what happened to you, but 
we need to get paid. We don't do this for free. And I, I totally got their situation. So it was really no hard feelings between me and the electrician, but between me and the contractor, there was a lot of hard feelings. And guess what? When I tried to call him, he wouldn't answer his phone. He basically fell off the face of the earth. I have never spoken to him since. That was six years ago. So um, always get a release of lien before you give the final payment to the contractor so that you know that no one's going to come back to you a couple days, a couple of weeks, or a few months later and say that you owe them money or you know they're going to basically take it out of the sale of the house. So that's important. That's something you should always do. And then finally, the last piece of documentation that I would recommend at minimum that you get is a contractor agreement. So that's basically a contract between you and the contractor. The quote should be attached to it with a timeline. You should staple it right to it, make it part of the agreement. And the contractor's agreement basically will have line items for the license and insurance number of the contractor. It'll call out, you know, it'll have the quote attached to it. It'll call out all the work that needs to be done. Um, it'll state, you know, little things like that the contractor will clean the, the property reasonably when they, when they finish that, you know, they'll sweep up and pick up all the debris. Um, it'll give them hours that they can work so they don't come at three o'clock in the morning and start turning on power saws and things like that. So it's basically just, it's a contract. It's your agreement with the contractor. And of course the contract will also have the, the cost associated, the final cost. It'll break down how you're going to, uh, fund the deal in terms of when are the releases, how are you going to pay the contractor, how much are you going to pay them, and when are you going to pay them. That'll be in the contract as well. So if you're going to pay your contractor 25% up front and then 25% releases um, you know, over the course of the job, great. Just call that out in your contracts. That's what that's for. So those are the four things at minimum that I would say you need. A release of lien, uh, um, insurance and license information, contractor agreement, and a written quote that's itemized with a timeline. That's my advice to you, Elaine from Texas. <clears throat> Doesn't matter where you live. This, all this paperwork should be filled out and you should have it no matter where you are or what you're doing. These are the things you want contractors to provide and, and sign before you authorize them to do the work. Okay, so that's that's my answer to Elaine. All right, next question is from Thomas, and Thomas is in Cleveland, Ohio. So Cleveland, Ohio is right by me. I'm in Michigan, so it's just south of me. Um, very similar markets. Okay, Thomas, uh, his question is, should I get a realtor's license before I start investing in real estate? Okay. It's a good question. I get this question a lot. I, I've asked myself the same thing when I was um, starting out, whether or not I should get my realtor's license. Here's my answer. <clears throat> it's similar to the answer I gave about the entities and whether or not, you know, what entity you should pick before you get started. As far as a realtor's license, I do not think that that's required or necessary or even needed before you start investing in real estate. I have been investing in real estate for six years. I do not have my realtor's license. So I, I don't think it's necessary. Now, that being said, realtors have direct and timely access to one of the most important tools to a real estate investor in your business, and that's the MLS. Now, there's other ways of getting access to MLS information, right? I mean, Zillow has MLS information on it. 
Um, there's something called Listing Book in my region that has MLS information. There's another website called Redfin. It's redfin.com. <clears throat> it's not available in all states, but I know for sure in California it's available. And I've heard that that's an excellent, excellent source of getting MLS information. But I don't believe any of these have amount the amount of comprehensive information and up-to-the-minute information like the MLS. There's just no beating the MLS for information. So you might ask, why don't I have my realtor's license if I'm telling you that the MLS is so critical and only realtors have access to it? And I'll tell you why. The reason I don't have MLS access or the reason I don't have my realtor's license is because I have created very close relationships with realtors who do have access to the MLS. And I use their expertise to do the work that I need done on the MLS. If I'm looking for a house, yeah, I have a lot of realtors that'll send me listings of houses. That's no big deal. But if I need certain research or very specific research done, again, I have friends in that industry and in the realtor uh, side of it who can answer questions, who can do research for me and are willing to do that because I've created relationships with them. I didn't just walk up to a realtor off the street and say, hey, I need you to do a bunch of research for me and it probably isn't going to produce any income for you right away. But, you know, I'm a good guy and, and I really know my stuff, so I'd like you to help me with it. I didn't do that. <clears throat> I, I created relationships with real estate investors who are actually, you know, good friends of mine now who if I call them or email them and say, hey, I'd like you to do a little research. Can you find this information for me on the MLS? You know, do some filtered searching. and I need to find this information. They would be more than happy to do it. So that's the benefit of creating relationships. And it's also the reason why I don't need my realtor's license, or at least I've never felt that I need it, at least to this point. I don't have any plans of getting my realtor's license. So for me to tell you, Thomas, from Cleveland, Ohio, that you need to get your realtor's license before you get started, I'd be a hypocrite because I don't think you do. I think you can get started without it. So I wouldn't worry too much. You know, Some of these things are just getting in your way of getting started. Realtor's license, entities, these kinds of things, worrying about them is just a diversion from the real deal, which is flipping houses, buying your first rental, wholesaling your first house, whatever it is, whatever form of real estate investing you choose to engage in, don't, I wouldn't worry too much about the realtor's license. Now, like I said before with the other things, if you flip a house or buy a couple rentals or do your first couple, two or three wholesale deals, and you look at it and make a conscious, educated decision that getting your realtor's license is what you need to do, then I say go for it. Then for sure do it. I'm not saying it's a bad idea. I'm just saying it's not needed in the beginning. Once you get going, it definitely can benefit you. And I know a lot of real estate investors, if they don't have their realtor's license, their spouse has it, or you know they have close colleagues that, that they can work with that can get them the information that they need. So that's my answer for number four from Thomas from Cleveland, Ohio. And I think I'm gonna stop there 
that, those are the four questions I'm gonna use for today. <clears throat> There's definitely more that I can answer, and I'm just pulling these questions up and, and kind of answering off the cuff. I'm not creating a long, drawn-out answer before I get on here. I'm just sort of giving you my answer, like if we met at a party and you said, hey, I wanna invest in real estate, I've got a quick question for you. This is how I would answer it. So I'm just being very honest with you and not giving you some canned you know, guru answer. It's just me giving you my my two cents. You may disagree with me on the realtor thing, but that's that's the beauty of, of, of the whole thing, right? There's more than one way to do this, and that's my answer. So if you value what I have to say, take my advice and run. If you wanna get a second opinion, by all means, there's a lot of people who are giving you an opinion. So those are my answers. I hope this was of a benefit to you. I really do. I know that normally I would have had a guest today, like I said, but I really wanna make sure that I'm answering the questions that you have as listeners to the show and new real estate investors. Even more importantly, new real estate investors questions, that's what, I'm all about here. That's what I'm trying to really help you with are those burning, really basic kind of questions that you just don't know where to get your, your answers from a reliable source. Like I said, a lot of people will give you answers to questions in real estate. Just be careful who you're listening to, be careful what they're telling you, and be careful what their intentions are to give you that answer. Do they have some ulterior motives? That's You wanna be careful of those people. So. Don't worry, you know, I have a great guest lined up for next Monday, and I am super excited to bring that interview to you. It is fantastic. So we'll be getting back to the interviews next Monday, and I'm really excited about that. Okay, guys, have a good Monday, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay, guys, one last thing before you go. I'd like to ask you a favor. I'd like you to think about the one thing in your business that you struggle with, something that you really need help with, something that you think I might be able to help you get past, a hurdle, a question, just something that plagues you when you're trying to move forward in your business, and let me know what it is. Shoot me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com and put the subject line help and tell me what it is that's keeping you from taking the next step, that's keeping you from propelling your business forward or what's keeping you from getting started. What piece of information, what what thing is, is sort of holding you back from doing what you wanna do in this business? I really wanna know, I really wanna create solutions for your problems and I can only do that if you tell me what your problems are, I truly want to help. Please send me an email at mike at juststartrealestate.com, subject help, and let me know what it is that's holding you back. Until next time, if investing in real estate is your dream, there's only one way you can make it a reality. Just start. 